0: welcome to back in the game a sports and mindset podcast i'm rob Bombako.
1: and i'm rachel Popcheck, and we're here to share with you the mental skills you need to help improve your performance and get your head back in the
0: game we will offer practical applications and diverse perspectives to help you apply these mental skills to your life Welcome to Back in the Game, a sports and mindset podcast. I'm Rob Bombacco,
1: And I'm Rachel Popchark.
0: We're excited to, today to have Rob Palante uh, with us today as our, our guest. Uh, Rob grew up in Mississauga, Ontario, suburb of West... Uh, a suburb west of Toronto, enjoyed many sports. Like most Canadian kids though, he gravitated towards hockey, uh, excelled in that sport and played at the highest competitive level in the city. Rob was drafted 52nd overall in the OHL draft in 1986 by the Sudbury Wolves, uh, but instead chose to pursue a scholarship. Rob had multiple offers, but chose to go to Michigan Tech to be a Husky in the fall of 1987. After missing his draft year due to injury, he was invited to attend the Minnesota North Stars training camp in 1992, spent the next few years in the minor leagues, never quite finding his stride. After leaving the game in 1996, he turned his attention to the business world and spent the next 23 years building a resume of success in sales, business development, and corporate leadership. Today, Rob has given has been given a second chance at life after a near-death motorcycle accident in 2015. His new mission is to help young athletes develop an invincible mindset and help them build a foundation of core values and character that will propel them in their sport and life after sports. Rob, thanks for joining us today.
2: Hey guys, thanks so much for having me on. Appreciate it.
0: No problem. So read a little bit about your, your, Uh, background in sports but can you tell me a little more about uh your playing career how you got started um you know in in the hockey world
2: yeah for sure well you know as I said in my intro uh like a lot of Canadian kids growing up um Uh, I was played a lot of sports. Um, my father had a big influence on me. He was a hockey player, um, and grew up in, in, uh, uh, you know, played at St. Mike's, which if you're from the Toronto area, you know, that St. Michael's college was a breeding ground for athletes, especially hockey players back in the the fifties and the sixties. Uh, so, you know, he played with a lot of greats, like, um, the Mulhovelidge brothers, Frank, uh, Jerry Cheevers, uh, Caesar Maniego, some names that young people are going who are these people uh but they were household names that that I grew up with so um you know I played um uh, uh my parents might put me into hockey my in fact it was my mother that said you know if he's gonna play he better learn to skate so she put me in figure skating first Rachel so nice. before I even started playing I was learning how to use my edges which was probably a good thing it helped me out uh, but I did propel um at the sport uh, I've also played a little bit of soccer, um, you know, and I think that's the Italian background uh, in the area that I grew up in was very predominant Italian, but I excelled at, at hockey, pursued that, did very well, played at a triple-A level, won a few championships in minor hockey, uh, had to make a decision um, between playing junior and college, uh, and, um, you know, after weighing it out with some advice from my dad, I chose the college route turned down Sudbury and played a year of junior in Bramalee. And then, um, I had a few different offers and I chose to go to Michigan tech where my father was an alumni and, uh, he had won the first, uh, NCAA championship that Michigan tech ever won back in 63. And so off I went to Michigan tech as a true freshman. Um, And, you know, looking back on my story now, we can get into a little bit. This is where I started to run into a little bit of adversity and not knowing how to handle it or how to deal with it. Because at that point, my trajectory was, you know, as I thought, and a lot of other people thought I was headed right to the next level, which would have been, you know, on to junior, college, and then pro. Yep. Um, And, um, you know, my... My career took a little bit of a of a sideways uh, turn when I got to Michigan Tech, and um, I had a, had an injury that was self-induced. Basically, my third day on campus, when I um, I was at a frat party, uh, my very first one as a seventeen-year-old, and wound up being one of the last guys there. Uh, I was with Randy McKay. So if you're from New Jersey, you know who Randy yep. McKay is. Mm-hmm. Um, Randy's not wasn't afraid to drop the gloves. He was a senior. I was a freshman. We got into a little altercation with some guys in a parking lot. I broke my hand. Jeez. oh way. Welcome to the NCAA. Had not even stepped on the ice. We had not even started training camp yet. And that mm-hmm. did not sit very well with the staff. Um, so uh, my first year was difficult. And, uh, um, I had a broken hand, had to have it reset, mm-hmm. uh, didn't get to even participate in training camp. Um, I only got into six games, wind up, you know, becoming red shirted and, uh, the relationship between the coach and I started to spiral.
0: Sure.
2: Um, we'll kind of fast forward a little bit, uh, that relationship in my junior year. Um, I, I took a lot of it personally and wasn't doing the things that I would recommend to a young player today. And, um, I let my emotion get the best of me, uh, and, uh, halfway through my junior season, uh, I packed my stuff up and I came home. Huh? I was still young enough. I had some junior eligibility played a half year a junior. And then, um, I continued my education out at Acadia university in uh, in Nova Scotia, um, relying just solely on talent. At that point, I was invited to five NHL camps and chose to go to Minnesota, had a decent camp, not drafted player. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm, I'm competing against draft picks and, sure. uh, and I hung in and got sent down to the eye down to the coast and, you know, the whole minor league battle to try to get back up there began. And, you know, you're a young player and now there's alcohols and there's all kinds of other temptations that are fun. Mm -hmm. Um, anyways, I walked away from the game after four years in the minors and then started to pursue my, my professional career in in business.
0: Okay. Awesome. So you kind of hit on a a number of different things. My, my follow-up was going to be, you know, some things, that you know now that, you know, you would kind of tell your younger self, um, in terms of like mental performance and mental skills. Uh, but what, one of the things, uh, I thought that you hit on that's so interesting and, and we've talked at times on, on this podcast about, or, you know, kind of allowing those outside things to have an influence on you. Right. And, and in particular, you mentioned kind of your relationship with your college coach. Right. And I, we hear that all the time right with players and stuff ah oh, my coach and this and that and right like how you know maybe some things you, you took from that it sounds like you know you said things i wouldn't tell you know young players today
2: that that right. you kind of learned yeah well you know look at i think so there's a number of different factors that we're playing into it and certainly not making excuses right because we know better now as adults um Obviously, as a 17, 18-year-old, my prefrontal cortex wasn't fully developed. Uh, I couldn't mm-hmm. think 10 minutes down the road into <laughs> you know what I should be doing. So right. I tried to you know, live in the moment. And um, you know, I'm also not going to use being Italian as an excuse, but it was a very emotional person. Sure. And, and um, you know, so when you combine that with the, the amount of success that I had leading up to that, And, you know, getting a a division one scholarship after, you know, only my first year of playing junior when I was eligible, you know, I probably went down there with an inflated ego Mm -hmm. and thought that I was going to step in and, um, you know, automatically contribute. The fact that I made a decision three days after being on campus to go out and, you know, have some fun and not leave when the other guys did. And, you know, found myself in a predicament where I couldn't leave my, my teammate. I had to stand by his side. I got the worst of it Mm -hmm. and tried to cover it up. But then what happened was instead of using that as an opportunity to that year to get better, I fell into a very deep rut and it, it really played on my confidence um, it played on the fact that I was looking at, at the coach that he did this to me, not that I did it to myself. Um, and, uh, it, instead of coming out and using the opportunity every time I was on the ice to get better, it started to turn into, um, you know, a, a sort of negative thoughts where, you know, am I going to get in the lineup? Why is the coach not giving me a chance to play? I'm a full ride scholarship player. You know, I'm a Canadian. All of these things that, right. that run through your mind mm-hmm. uh, to justify why you should be playing rather than looking and saying, you know, what should I be doing to prepare myself mentally to get back from this injury? Okay, I made a mistake. I'm probably not the first guy or the last guy to make this mistake. But how could I use this, you know, uh, as an opportunity now to grow as a person? Right. Hindsight's always 2020. We look back and I look back on that situation. I can say, you know what? I probably should have played another year of junior. I wasn't mentally or physically ready to make the jump, even though we think we are. Um, And I took the opportunity that was in hand. There was one other opportunity that I had. Most of the other schools that were um, recruiting me were telling me to wait another year, which a lot of the guys that I was playing with played that extra year, went on and had decent careers. I'm not going to sit here and play woulda, coulda, shoulda. Who knows? This right. was the path that that I took. And, um, you know, so I carried that with me for a long time. And through my, my the three years that I was there, um, it, you know, there was a lot of resentment towards the coach. And, you know, likewise, coming back the other way, different times, I understand coaches didn't really communicate a lot with you. And Robert, you know what it's like, you know, college teams carry an abundance of players. So there's always somebody there that's ready to take your spot. And if you don't come out and perform every single day and earn that, there's somebody that's going to to come in behind you. Mm -hmm. And so what I didn't realize was how important my attitude was when I wasn't in the lineup and I was on the practice squad and how I was performing on the practice squad and what, the coaches, the assistant coaches that had to put us through our drills on game Mm -hmm. days when we weren't playing, were not playing were reporting back to the head coach, you know, what's his attitude like, is he showing up? Is he having fun or is he complaining and and being a grumpy old Italian kid, um, you know, who didn't really want to be there. And that was probably more, you know, that's all on me, but I didn't realize that until later on in life. Right.
0: Sure. Sure.
1: So with everything that, you know, you're kind of sharing with, you know, everything that you've learned kind of throughout your career and, and certainly the work that you do now, could you tell us a little bit about kind of what you do now at, at Mindset Body Bank?
2: Yeah. Um, so so thanks for asking that question. Um, you, you know, I just turned 52 years old a couple of weeks ago, and um, I didn't really figure out who I was until I was about 45 years old. And I had an incident that happened to me in 2015. I was going through a divorce. I had two young kids and I was hit head on my, my, uh, I was out on a Saturday morning on my Harley. I was actually going to pick up my daughter at her mom's house. I was coaching her little soccer team. U you eight or you nine year old soccer players. I was two blocks away from the house and I had a woman on her phone, make a left-hand turn into me and, um, you know, uh, b- pretty much crushed the left side of my body. I got oh, tossed nice. off the bike. I was, um, you know, obviously uh, hurried into uh, Hamilton General, um, and I was given my last rites the first night I was in the hospital. Uh, I had so much trauma, internal bleeding, um, and damage that they weren't sure if I was going to make it through the night. I'm sitting here as a testament to you guys that obviously I did. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> you know, after a week and a half of of being in ICU, uh, I'll never forget this. I had a nurse come to me when I got released and she said, we've had a lot of people, uh, young young people on bikes that have, you know, had less injuries than you and not survived. You've been given a second chance at life. Don't waste it. You know, at that um, point, I was told I was going to be in the hospital for 120 days minimum. Um, and so I had a lot of time to start to reflect back on my life up until that point. And, you know, what, you know, you want to call it a come to Jesus meeting. Uh, well, I was that close to, to spending my time with him. But I looking back on all the decisions that I had made over the course of my life up until that point. Um, where I was pointing the finger and blaming others or looking for excuses. Um, I owned all of them while I was lying in that hospital bed. Mm-hmm. And that nurse's saying really stuck with me. And I didn't know what it meant because I still had a long road of recovery ahead of me. It, I had eight surgeries and uh, it was two years of rehab just to get back to you know some sort of uh, condition. Now, I was a bigger guy. I'm 6'3". I was 240 at the time of the accident probably that saved my life a smaller person would have been would have been crushed um and and so in doing that going through the rehab coming back i actually made a decision in the hospital that i still had a commitment you know to my ex-wife i was the sole income provider i had two young kids um and i was a contracted employee at that time working with a company in atlanta and traveling back and forth between toronto if I'm not working, I'm not making money. So I had to get out faster than, than 120 days. And so I actually walked out at 40 and I had gone through, I don't know what happened in there, but you know, it was diet. It was the, the mental change that I made. It was that commitment to healing and getting better. Um, you know, the bones that healed and the, the, the mental healing really, um, that, that I think helped, me putting my mind into a place of, of acceptance, um, but knowing that I needed to be of service to other people really started to resonate at that point. And so when I got out and I was going through my two years of rehab, I started to feel this calling that there, you know, there was more than my life and it wasn't just this corporate world and driving fancy cars and putting on a suit every day and um, you know, chasing dollars, it was how could I give back? now and this is all i was consumed with how do i give back what do i do i walked away from a sport that i loved because of what i felt the sport did to me what i realized in the hospital was it was what i did to myself Mm -hmm. and so you know i walked through this this minefield and, and blew myself up over and over again and so i thought god if i could help some young athlete you know um and I use the idea of hacking time and guiding them through the minefield to not make those same mistakes that I did. Um, you know, maybe I could influence somebody else's life in a positive way. And that's when I started to come up with this idea around mindset. And I started reading books and reading books and understanding. I wanted to know about neuroscience. I wanted to know about how the brain works. I wanted to understand how could I heal myself and this was mm-hmm. part of my journey. So I spent 40 days in the hospital reading and learning about who I was. And the next two years was this journey to developing mindset, body bank. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so mindset is, you know, everything that we do starts with a thought, everything. The body then follows the mind. The bank component wasn't necessarily a monetary, but it's, am I making deposits into myself on a daily basis? Sure. So that's the idea for mindset, body bank.
0: Yeah, to go along with, with that a second, um, I was on your website and I'll give you a chance at, at, you know, at the end to um, kind of promote that a little bit, but sure. um, was, was going through it and came across the 75-day challenge um, yes. piece and I, I thought that was awesome. You want to just talk a quick minute about that and you know yeah, what, what that sure. consists of?
2: Yeah. Appreciate you bringing that up. So, um, you know, one of the people I started following on my journey to recovery was um, Andy Frisella and he's very outspoken. Um, He holds no punches. If you've got a weak stomach, you you know, you may not want to listen to him, but he was a very, he's a, he's a self-made millionaire and he created a program a few years ago called 75 hard. And to me it was an opportunity to challenge myself at 50 years old Um, to get myself mentally and physically back into a place where I I could properly represent the program that I was building. And so the 75 hard challenge is 75 days of two workouts a day, minimum 45 minutes each workout. One has to be outside. You got to drink mm-hmm. a gallon of water. You have to t- read 10 pages of, of a self-help book or, or you know, a nonfiction book. You have to eat clean. Uh, there's no alcohol. And so that was a big challenge for me after the pre- past lifestyle that I had led. But I said, if I could do this, this will help put me in a place where now I could not only talk about great things, Mm -hmm. but I could show people that I could do it at 50 years old and I did it. In Mm -hmm. fact, I, that first year I did the whole live hard program. So it was the first 75 days. And then you go into a 30 day phase one and then you take a month off and you do phase two and then you take another month off and then you do phase three and you go right back into 75 hard again. So I completed that whole year and, you know, I just saw so many changes The physical parts were the most obvious that you see, because I went from 240 down to 218, probably better shape than I was when I was playing. (laughs) But the mental changes were incredible because you start to create habits and routines for yourself, which become not a diet or a fad, but they become a lifestyle. And I found when I wasn't doing the program, I missed it. And I missed that structure. And we know that our brain loves routine right Mm -hmm. and so when i did started this program um you know people other people would say you know how can you do that and you know what i really learned from that is i'm not focusing on the finish line of 75 days i just took one day at a time and i and i even broke that down into um, you know writing out every single day what the criteria was and as i finish that check the box and just making sure i checked those boxes and that okay. actually helped me develop the mindset body bank program where now at the end of the day if you follow my program you're making your checking boxes and you're making a deposit into yourself okay. so that program is very instrumental in in you know, my, uh, my, my rehabilitation and my mental, my physical, but also the development of my own program.
1: That's awesome. And I love kind of the way you're talking about creating that routine and the way that you broke that down and kind of checking those things off. Um, you know, I think that like all of those things are such important mental skills for us to use on a daily basis. And I mean, it really apply to everything kind of across the board. But through all of the things that you're, you're sharing and kind of the, the personal development you've done, the career development that you've done, maybe, what's maybe one of your favorite kind of go-to mental exercises that, that you practice?
2: Uh, it, it's, a, it's a great question uh, because I think it's one that comes with a little bit of maturity. And if you would have asked me to do this when I was an 18 or 19-year-old athlete, I probably would have giggled and looked sideways at you. But visualization and meditation yeah. are, you know, probably the two, you know, depending on how you want to identify it. And I would throw breathing into that because breathing is such an important part of what we do. We just do it unconsciously, but when you start to consciously think about it. Um, and you put yourself into a meditative state, and I try to do at least 10 to 30 minutes a day or, or multiple <laughs> times a day, I find that I'm actually more, um, I, I become more creative. Um, I become a lot more calm. Um, I'm, I certainly don't have that reaction the way that I used to with emotion. And I've now learned to replace emotion with a behavior. And that comes from being you know, doing that, going through that meditative and visualization state and paying conscious attention to my breathing. That is my go-to every day. I recommend it for anybody that, that, that any athlete, any person mm-hmm. should spend time focusing on that.
0: Yeah. Do, do you have with, you mentioned kind of, you know, if you would have said that to your 18 year old self, you would have given a side look there. Um, you know, I think that's uh, with the younger kids, oftentimes the, the reaction um, you get is, is there anything that you kind of do with the younger athletes? Because I agree. I mean, I think visualization is such an important tool. Uh, you know to to create and and to set that foundation at a at a young age any way that you go about it with the the younger athlete to kind of just introduce them to that or at least you know get them thinking uh you know about it a little more and how it could be helpful
2: yeah and i think that you know it's a great question because you know we know that When you work with young athletes, they're very anxious, right? Mm -hmm. And to get their attention for any period of time, and especially what we've all gone through these eighteen months of COVID, right? These kids are sitting in front of screens all day. You know, the last thing they want to do at the end of the day is is have you know another Zoom meeting or Zoom session. So you know, I would always start, and I worked with a a bunch of athletes during that period of time. I because I launched my program about four or five months before COVID, so. Mm -hmm. I was, I had to do a pivot and learn all yep. this stuff, right? All <laughs> yep. of a sudden now, I, you know, I'm, I like to be in front of people. Now I'm yep. sitting in front of kids on the screen. So yep. I feel the teachers. One of the things I made them do was I all made them turn on their screens so that I could see them. They had to sit front up straight and I had to look at their faces. We started each day with a little mantra that I created, that we created the team, each team would create. Mm-hmm. And we would recite that little mantra And then I just asked them to just sit up tall, close their eyes. And I would just walk them through a, 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 you know, a a little five minute meditative, just a visualization, picture yourself on the ice or on the Mm -hmm. field. I work with different athletes. Um, You know, think about some of the, the, you know, the positive things that you have done, create this highlight reel in your mind, Um, you know, and then when you come out of that and you relate it back to their idols. We know now today how important this is to the top-notch athletes. Yep. And if you tell them, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, the, the Sydney Crosby's and, and whoever it is that they're looking up to these days are actually using those techniques to improve their performance. And when you can mm-hmm. relate to them and tell, let them know that, you know, whenever you step on the ice and do a drill and you're doing it over and over, if you do that in your mind, your body doesn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. So those mental reps are just as important as the ones you're physically doing. Yep. They stop uh-huh. and they think about that. They go, so I could just sit in my room and <laughs> practice in my <laughs> yeah. head. Well, yeah, essentially you can mm-hmm. right? with some guidance. And so once they've done that a couple of times and they start to see some progression, well, now you've got the bought in. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's kind of getting them through those initial hurdles, tying it in with somebody that they know of who is sure. doing it mm-hmm. and, and letting them know that this is a tool that you can use that they didn't talk about when I was playing, right. you know, back in the 80s and the 90s, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think what you said I mean that's such a huge thing with the field nowadays. I think that more and more of those athletes are talking about the importance it gives, you know. Um yeah, especially for the younger generation who can see that and say, "Oh, yeah, you know, um uh like you said Crosby's using this type of stuff or the top, you know, um LeBron, you know, yeah. he he's another one that you hear a lot about um kind of the meditation and different yeah. things. So um, yeah, I do. I coach a peewee team and we do visualization before each game. And it's always funny when we're doing it. You have some kids who half closing in their yeah. eyes
2: and they're, li- are other people doing this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's it's it's so important. And I think it's important too. now, um, you, you know, that, and I know a lot of coaches at, at all the different levels from the NHL, right down, you know, through junior and college, mm-hmm. they've become a lot more open to you know the type of services that that you guys and i are all delivering right they realize that you know the days of you know i used to walk into my coach's office when i wasn't playing and say like what am i not doing i think i'm doing the right things in practice i think i have a good at i think i'm you know and the best advice i got was be patient keep working how does how does that filter through a 17 18 19 year old's mind you know Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the coaches that I'm close with in the OHL today he says, look, and he's, he's my age and a couple of years older. He says, I got to be the Google button because when they come to me, I got to have answers. I can't just tell them, do what I tell you to do anymore, you know, right. because the kids need to know why. Right. And then they've got, they might have mental coaches. They might have nutritionists, strength and conditioning. They're all coming in with this, you know, and parents we know in minor hockey, they would need to know why more than the kids do. All right. right, So if you can give them those answers, it shows that you're interested and, you know, it, and it shows that you're looking for, um, to help develop them, not just as, as athletes, but as individuals. And I think that's the most important thing, yeah. you know, um, you know, I always tell the kids not to deter them, but you know, not all of you are going to make a living being professional hockey players or football players or soccer players. Mm-hmm. Once you understand that, what you're really trying to do is figure out you know, um, who your authentic self is right. when you know who you are and why you're doing it and you figure that out, uh, you, you know, now you can start to fill in, you know, fill it in backwards sure. and, and that starts with, you know, what your outcome goals are and what your performance goals are, and then what the process is to go through that. Yep. And, and so when you explain it to them, I think they appreciate it rather than just saying, do what I tell you, <laughs> Right. you know, when's what we did put Mm -hmm. your head down, go through the boards. Sure. (laughs) Okay, coach. Absolutely.
0: Well, this was awesome. So much uh, great information. I want to give you a a second, you know, promote your website. If you have uh, Twitter or any, any social media things you want to kind of put out there.
2: Yeah. So I I use Instagram. Um, It's everything is at mindset body bank. Instagram. I'm not too big on Twitter. I'm still figuring that one out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a Facebook page. Uh, my website is mindset body bank. Um, you know, I, I have different programs for, you know, groups for individuals, uh, for teams as well. So, uh, you can, you can find me on, on those, uh, those social media platforms and, and by all means reach out, ask questions, make myself available all the time.
0: Awesome. Um, sounds great uh thanks again so much for for joining us it was a pleasure talking with you
2: i appreciate it uh wish you guys all the best rob rachel thank you so much for your time today
1: thank you
0: take care all right Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Back in the Game, a sports and mindset podcast.
1: Please make sure to join us next time as we continue to discuss the mental skills you need to get your mind back in the game and perform at your best.